It's good to see everybody here this morning. And the microphone is working. All right. Hallelujah for Mother's Day. Looks like the mothers are still getting some refreshments. And everybody that's against a mother being refreshed is in a bad place this morning, let me tell you. My favorite Mother's Day joke is the little boy jokes. When the little boy said to his mother, it was a stormy night and the mother came in to tuck him in and he said, Mom, can can you just stand here with me tonight? Because he was a little scared and his mother said, well, honey... Daddy wants me to stay in there in the other room with him. And the little boy said, Big sissy. <laughs> I, I love the, also the, the little boy that was going to go deep into the pantry for some treats. And the mother said, No, no, it's back further in the, you know, and the, the pantry was dark. And, uh, the little boy just said, can you help me, Mom? He, she said, it's okay. She, just go back in there. and It's dark, but it's okay. Jesus is back there. Don't, don't worry about it. It's okay. Jesus is with you. And, and the little boy looked in that dark pantry and saw some shadows and stuff and said, Jesus, if you're in there, can you hand me out the cereal? <laughs> you know, Mother's Day, someone wrote, is traditionally the day when children... Give something back to the mothers for all the spit they produced to wash dirty faces. All the old gum they held in their hands and all the noses they wiped and all the bloody knees they made well with their kisses. This is the day that mothers are rewarded for washing sheets in the middle of the night, driving kids to school when they miss the bus, and enduring all the football and soccer games in the rain. It's a day of appreciation for making your children finish something they said they couldn't do, not believing them when they said, I hate you, and sharing their good times and their bad. What are mothers? Well, mothers are teachers. Mothers are disciplinarians. And everybody said amen to that part right there. Mothers are cleaning ladies. Some mothers are gardeners and mowers of lawns. Mothers are nurses and doctors and psychologists and counselors and chauffeurs and coaches. Mothers are developers of personalities, molders of vocabularies, and shaper of attitudes. Mothers are soft voices saying, I love you. And mothers are linked to God. A child's first impression of God's love. Mothers are all these things and much, much more. This morning, all of you ladies, I want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. And I want to begin in prayer. Father, today, this message that you have placed on my heart. God, I pray that you would use my voice to be able to speak the truth and love. And Father, to encourage and give hope. God, into the darkness where the enemy would love to bring doubt, fear, and unbelief. But God, that you'd bring the truth and understanding and revelation for lives. But God, I know that I can speak this message. God, one word from you can change the eternity for a person. And that's what we ask this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, as it is Mother's Day, and it's always a, a special day uh, for me, my mother uh, is here this morning. Mom, would you just stand with me this morning? Let's give her a hand. She's been a mother to me all my life. That doesn't get old, I don't care who you are. Anyway. This morning, I want to be talking about a circumstance, and through that circumstance of life, we're going to see a, a, a point that's going to be able to encourage us and change our lives. 
uh, the story is the children of Israel, let me kind of set the scene for you, the children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I mean, because of their parents' unbelief of being able to go in and receive the promise what God had already given them, they said, it just seems our identity, we feel like we're grasshoppers in our own eyes. And therefore, they were not able, the 12 spies that went in, only two gave a positive report. As you know, any time that you get about 12 people together, it's hard for them to agree on anything. And sure enough, they came back and they, they spread an evil report or a negative report that they couldn't do it. Now, a new generation has come uh, into leadership and God says, now's the time. Joshua is the leader and he is a military leader. He was the commander of the army. And so this time he, he kind of learned probably from Moses' mistake. He only sends two spies out into the land so that they can come back. And we know that the Bible says on the, the word of two, out of the mouth of two witnesses that truth can be established. So here's these two spies and they're spying out the land in order to give a military strategy of how to conquer it, just to, to view it again after so many years and to see all the things that are going to stand in front of them. And you think that maybe today the story is going to be on what they saw, but the story is the circumstance that they get into that causes us to see through a knothole. Sometimes, you know, when you read the Bible, you, you, you want the whole perspective, but sometimes you can only see just what the author, through the uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit, allows us to see. But it's an amazing story. This morning, I believe that God has tailored, made it, custom fit it for you that are mothers this morning. The children of Israel are camped on the other side of the Jordan. They send the two spies, and the spies are spying out the land, and they come to Jericho, and Jericho is this, uh, his, history tells us it, it was an amazing city because it had a characteristic, and that characteristic wasn't it didn't have an arch, you know, like St. Louis, or it didn't have the Statue of Liberty, but it had and was known for its wall around it for protection. Back then, you could have the biggest sword or the biggest spear, but the biggest wall would be more of a weapon against the enemy than anything else. The Bible tells us that it was such a mighty wall that it, it was an obstacle that the children of Israel had to go through. I, I think that there could have been some anxiety. What, what are we going to do? How are we going to overcome something that big? Even now, historians tell us that the wall was so thick that they would even be able to have two chariots side by side race around that wall for the entertainment of the people of Jericho. So it was, it was mighty. So these spies are going into Jericho unnoticed and they're looking at the city of how to overcome it when their cover is blown. They, they find refuge and they go into a lady's house and it just so happens that the house that they're in is a prostitute's house. Her name is Rahab. And the Bible tells us that they send word to the, the house and they begin to knock on the door and they say, Hey, we know that there are people in there and we need them to come out. And so she hides them actually in the roof because her house is actually on the wall. And the Bible says that they come in, they check, they leave, and they're going to go now outside of the city and look for these spies. The story that's going to follow is an amazing story of God's grace. The story that's going to be read today, and we're going to talk about this morning, can really help you ladies and gentlemen out in a way that if you'll allow it, you'll begin to set priorities in your life that really what matters the most. And I'm not just talking about today or tomorrow or next month, but for eternity. Let's begin Joshua chapter 2. And it, it says this. In verse number 11 or 12, it says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord. Now, now there's going to be a time that her faith is going to have to be tested here. Is she going to believe that she's helped these guys for reason? And it says, Please swear to me that the Lord, that you will show kindness to my family. Because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them. 
and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will be binding on us unless, watch this, unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. So in other words, she's giving a job. She's got to tie a scarlet cord in the window. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, and if any of them are outside your house in the street, their blood will be on their heads. We will not be responsible. And for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid upon them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath that you made us swear. I, I love her. She says, agreed. Done. Where do I sign? What do I have to do? I'm in. She said, let it be as you have said. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Today, mother, if there's one thing that you could choose for your family, what would it be? The one thing. Now, it's amazing, isn't it, that as mothers and fathers that we realize that when we come to those major things in our children, in our family's life, that we go and we're going to say, hey, Today, we want you to understand this is such a priority. We, we can do what we call a withdrawal. If you would go to the bank this morning and say, I would like to withdraw $1 million. You can be as pleasant as you can be. You can be a little mean. You can be a little pushy. I want my million dollars. What would they say to you? Now, I know what they'd probably say to me, but probably they would go, do you have a million dollars in the bank? Because unless we deposit a million dollars in the bank, we can't withdrawal a million dollars out of the bank. So when we come to our children and we say, this is something that I think that needs to be in your life. They're saying, I don't want to listen to you. And a lot of times it's because we have not deposited earlier into their life. This morning, because you mean a lot to me, I've paid a lot of money for this next illustration. I just wanted to let you know that. A lot of times in our life, what we do is, as mothers and fathers is we have things that come up in our life. And, and you, as well as me, know that as, as young parents, there's, there's things that we, we, we become uh, involved in early in life as, as, as you know, a, a newlywed couple and, and we're married and we, we, we begin to have you know, those early days when we begin to set our priorities. And a lot of times it's based on what our parents did. I, I love the commercial about he became or she became like her parents, you know, her mother or whatever. Anybody sell those commercials? I love that. And, and it's because the, the influence that our parents have had on us a lot of times sets the priority. But, but what I found out in my life is priorities are something that I choose. Now, my parents might, but I choose. It's a big influence on my life, but I choose. And this morning, I want to talk to you, mothers, because a lot of times when you're in a place of making your choices, there's so many things out there that are jockeying, trying to get your vote to make them what we call the big rocks in our life. Those are the priorities. You know, it's the little rocks. And if you would, you can see that all these little things that go into our lives as, as, as priorities. And, and, and we begin to think, you know, for our children's sake, I'll, I'll tell you what, I've seen more and more people say, you know what, what's so important in my child's life is the sports, the baseball, the football, the soccer, the ballet, the dance, the underwater basket weaving, fill in the blank, whatever you want. If they would just do, if they would just get some more video games, they'd be more entertained and, and 
and they would be more not in my hair. That, that, those are things that are sometimes looked at as priority, even though we might not say they're priority. It's not long until then we start putting things into our life that, that we, we begin to go, you know what, I, I can put that one in, but, but the big rocks in our life that you just really can't, the, the things of, you know, the, the things of character and, and, and the things of God, it, it just don't fit anymore. We begin to question ourselves and go, you know, why is it that I'm always so busy that I don't have the things, the time for God anymore. I, I just, I just feel like, you know what? I, I just can't do it. We begin to rationalize as parents. We begin to say, you know what? They do need friends, and if they can just hang around friends, it, it's going to be better for them socially. And, but, but the big things, the things of God and, and integrity and the things of priority that should be the big rocks, now they don't fit because they're just so busy doing the other thing. But it's amazing how when you as parents have time to put God number one, you put the things of, you know what, you're going you're gonna to finish that homework. You're going to Go to youth camp. I don't know any mom. I don't know anybody there. You're going to go. And then all of a sudden you put in the things that matter the most. And they're the first things that go into your children's life. Because you're the one that's going to give them the influence. Leadership is nothing but influence. And then all of a sudden then you can pour in the things of the minor things, the, the play things, the enjoyable, the things that even though the church is very can be enjoyable because our children's ministry is second to none, our youth ministry is touching lives. You know what? Then all of a sudden you have time for those other things, but the big rocks are the things that go first. You know what? I, I played sports in my life, and as you can see, I'm a big guy, and I can... Made it to 12th grade playing sports. It was a sad day when I realized the Cowboys weren't interested in the Johnster, you know. But looking back as a father, I began to see the things that my parents influenced me. And I thought, you know what? Even though I love competition and I love the sports and all the things that come with that. I mean, there's nothing like ro uh, running out and breaking through that breakthrough sign, you know, on Friday night. And, you know, all the people, 6,000 people in DeSoto are yelling. That's where I grew up. And all the people on the other side, Lancaster, you know, they didn't care. But we were all, it's just nothing like that. Sports, wonderful. Mom and dad didn't miss a game. They were there. But the day that I realized that that was not number one in my life, and I would not make that number one in my children's life, is the day that I recalled that the things of God would always trump the sporting of things in my life. How do I know that? Because I remember playing baseball, and the older I got, the coach would go, you know what, we're going to have uh, practice this Wednesday night. Well, we had, at that time had church on Wednesday nights, and, and as growing up, and, and my mom and dad said, you can practice every night of the week except Sunday and Wednesday and they always had this smile on their face kind of like that. <laughs> you know and I know where you're going to be on those nights and back then which was it by the way that long ago that back then it was almost customary for coaches to go of course you could go but because more and more people have have made the things of sports more important than the things of God, now they're even practicing on Sunday mornings and making rules that you can't play if you don't practice. Let me tell you, if there were some mothers and fathers that would stand up and go, oh, no, we're not practicing on Sunday. As parents, there's something about putting those things in our life that we think should be important. Even our work. Our jobs. We're talking though about eternity. You know eternity. Forever and ever and ever and ever. 
it is very important. And I know that you have to eat. I know that we have to have money. We know that. We live in this world. But that is still not the biggest thing that should be in our life. When you think about uh, things like kids, our, our school activities that are involved in, again, they're, they're so essential, but they're not the biggest and they're not the priority in our life. As young parents, you know, we get tempted of always having something better or bigger than what we have now. It's always the, what I call the destination disease. It's always the, until I get over there, I won't be as happy. And really what that becomes is that that feeling becomes a big rock in our lives that, you know, you know that the priority is I've got to work harder, I've got to work longer, more hours. You know, I, I recall even nothing would trump even going to church on Sunday. You know, my parents, th this is just the, the part of the priority that they put on my life. We would go on vacation. And we would go to a church out of town. Mom, dad, a little uncomfortable. I don't know anybody in that children's ministry. Well, you got Julie, your sister, that can go with you. Like I said, I don't have anybody to go with me. By the way, Julie, it's good to have you here this morning. I remember going to kids camp and then on to youth camp. And I began to think just recently, you know, that, that we offer all the time scholarships for people that don't even have children to, to help other children go to camp. And, and, you know, a lot of times an an older couple, and I'll just say older because you might be just a little bit older, you might be a lot older. But sometimes the older we get, the more money that we can acquire where sometimes a young couple that's raising their children need help. And, and, and it's so important as a church family that we come around them and begin to support them by giving to help their children go to camp and make that a priority. You know what? I, I recall loving to go to camp, and that was one thing that I really didn't fight against. But there's some kids that would say, you know what, I'd like to work. At the end of the camp, most of the time they would regret that they didn't go to camp. And I said, what did you exchange for go not going? Your work. Well, I made $72.42. And I thought, the power of the impact of that week at camp, hearing the word of God with other young people, changed my life. Matter of fact, I'm here to say today that it probably was a camp that I did hear the voice of God call me into the ministry. And I, I thought, what if I just said to my, well, I probably wouldn't have said it to my mom and dad because that would have been another whole nother story. But what if I just said, I'm not going to camp. And I wonder sometimes if, when, if I would have not made my purpose in life, if I would have not fulfilled what God has called me to do personally. And sometimes I think about people that go, you know, I, I just don't know what God has for me. And I wonder sometimes that they don't know what God has for them because they've always made him the little rock in their life instead of the big priority. Because so many times God is speaking, it's us that cannot hear. I know that personally I've never had to work on Sunday except to preach. And as a child, I remember that my parents would say, you know, you're not, you're not going to work a job that you work on Sunday. Now, now, let me say this. I know that the blue laws of Texas have changed where you used to really didn't have to worry about that because Texas said everything's closed except just very few things. And I know that there's times when our, our employer will say, I want you and I need you to work on Sunday. There's some professions, there's some places that won't even hire you if you say, I can't work on Sunday. But isn't it funny how Christians have never argued that point? All the other organizations around would throw a fit. That's racist or that's biased or that's... But Christians go, well, I guess we'll have to work on Sunday. 
this morning. I want you to hear with your heart this morning. Because if you go in to tell your employer, and, and so many times we've had people come and say, we'd love to be here, we just have to work on Sunday. And hear me, it's not ever, ever am I saying that we go, you're not that good a Christian if you're not here on No, no. Please don't hear that. But what you're hearing is a pastor that says, if you go to your boss and say, the first opportunity for me to be transferred to another position that I won't have to work on Sunday because, see, I, I go to church on Sunday. A lot of times we'll even pray for the person that's coming and saying, I can't be here every Sunday. And it's amazing. And some of you that have prayed that with us, it's amazing how your employer said, we've got another shift that you don't have to work from now on on Sunday. It's the priorities. Do you know that in the story that Rahab could have requested anything? Anything. Those two spies were in a spot. She could have requested gold because they just have come out of 40 years earlier out of Egypt and acquired all their gold. And it's funny that they were just going into the promised land so they would acquire a lot more gold. She could have said, I tell you what, I won't say anything if you give me a lot of gold. But she didn't request money. You know, you think about it, and she could have really requested a position. You know what, guys? I'm tired of being a prostitute. Rahab the harlot. Could you give me another position? I mean, something high in the country. Something that's going to make me... But she didn't request that. You could have even thought through this, and she could have requested, you know what? You guys are going to give me anything to keep quiet? I'll tell you what I want. Here's what I want. I want an estate. I want something of a beautiful piece of this country that you're going to conquer, you know, with a little white wicker fence or a little plastic whatever fence, you know, and I, I want the vineyard because I'm not going to plant the vineyard, you know, that in that milk and honey. I want a little of that milk and honey. But what's so amazing is the one thing, the one thing is she says, this is what I want. I want you to Promise me that my family will be saved. See, the, the two spies have to have a way to identify her place. And that is where the family is going to be saved. And they said it this way. If you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which we are let down, and unless you have brought your father and your mother and your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not take responsibility. What she's saying, what they're saying is Rahab, to have the protection, they have to be in the house. I want to encourage you mothers and fathers to realize that having your children in your house, in your responsibility of saying, no, 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 no. There's times, as you know, I have four children and now they're all adults. And there's been times in the past that I've wanted to go, just go do your own thing. Can I get an amen from any parent here? They can fight like the biggest bass on your fishing line. You know what I mean? They're trying to spit the hook and... And they can say, you're control of... Anybody ever heard that beside me? Come on, come on. And I'm kind of like that comedian Tim Hawkins that I'm the captain of sometimes no. I can't give you a bigger no. We're going to do this. No. Dad, you don't know. That's right. No. And on and on of just saying, nope, you're going to stay in the house. You're going to be in my protection and I'm responsible for you. Now, now this morning I want you to see something because in the story, it says, unless the scarlet cord is tied in the window. I, I believe that that scarlet cord, and what, what a beautiful picture, as today we took the Lord's Supper and talked about the blood of Jesus. I believe the scarlet cord was a foreshadowing, actually, of the blood of God upon her house. Now think about this. 
it, the, the blood on the doorpost took place 40 years earlier with all the children of Israel. The Passover, if you've ever heard that in the Israel's culture and tradition, and that's what we did is take the, the, the Lord's Supper. The Passover is the last plague where the oldest son of the Egyptian people would be killed. The death angel would pass over the country and the only way that those people in the house would be saved, that older son, is that God told them to put the blood of the lamb or a lamb over the doorpost of their house. Again, speaking of their identity, how in the world could the death angel not? Because it would signify the people in that house are mine. They're children of the king. Don't touch them. They're in the house. And the Bible says that there was great misery and moaning in Egypt that night. But the children of Israel escaped that because of the blood of the lamb on their house. This morning, real quickly, I want my helpers to pass out a scarlet cord. And this morning, if you're a mother or a father, if you'll just please just raise your hand if they miss you quickly, helpers quickly. And I've got a lot of these. And, and what, they, what this is going to do is help you as a point of contact, not just this week, but just help me for a season. I want to challenge you. And I want you to be challenged to put this little rope, little scarlet cord. Gentlemen, fathers, I'm going to challenge you just to put it somewhere on your steering wheel. And the reason why is every time that you get into that car, that vehicle, that you're taking hold of that steering wheel, that you're saying, God, I want you to help me in driving my family to being responsible, God, because I know that the blood of the Lamb is upon me and my family. But mothers, this morning, I want to challenge you. I want you to put it on your refrigerator handle that your whole family can see that. And every time that you go to that refrigerator door and you see that scarlet cord that you as a believer in God you say you know what I believe that the blood of Jesus Christ is on my family and I'm appropriating it by faith that my children will be influenced that you are the priority of this house it's something little there is no special thing about this cord there is no you know magical thing it's nothing there but a reminder to you of who you are in Jesus Christ let me just tell you this morning that the blood makes the covenant possible. The old covenant between Yahweh and Israel was dedicated with blood. Some of you didn't read this passage or haven't, but in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18, it says, Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated or inaugurated without blood. For when Moses had spoken, even every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. In other words, he sprinkles the book of the law. He even sprinkles the people and says, Now the covenant, the agreement, the contract between God and man is bound because of the blood. Do you realize that the blood gives us, the covenant then gives us access to God? In Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter the holiness or the holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Now, taking that out of context, it might be a little harder to understand. But let me tell you this, that the day that Jesus Christ died for you and me, there was a veil in the temple. That veil separated the holies from the holies of holies. The holies of holies was where the covenant was, the Ark of the Covenant. And what I love about the Ark of the Covenant, let me just tell you a little story about that. The Ark of the Covenant is where the, the, the sacraments, some of the things that were so important to the children of Israel during this time wandering in the wilderness took place. There was a, a rod there that budded. There was uh, the, the broken or the Ten Commandments that were broken. And then also then there was uh, things that, represented the really the mistakes of Israel. And in, in that covenant were these things that were, were stored and then the mercy seat was on top of it. Years now in the future of Rahab, the enemy, the Philistines, would capture the Ark of the Covenant and start digging around and thousands would die. I thought it was pretty cool. 
the enemy always tries to get in and remind us of the bad things that we've done, but you don't take it out of the mercy seat when it's under the blood of God and under the mercy seat of Jesus Christ that now our sins have been forgiven. And the Bible says on the day that Jesus was crucified, the veil that separated the holies from the holy of holies, that's where the ark was, that's where the only the high priest could go for the forgiveness of sins for the people. That veil was 60 feet long. This building is 60 feet long. So that veil would separate the two rooms, one from the other. But when Jesus was crucified in the storm came that day that it was torn in two from the top to the bottom. It's kind of interesting. If it was man that did it, it would be from the bottom to the top. But because it was torn in two, again, a representation of now that we can come into the Holy of Holies to be with God. We don't need a high priest to go in to ask for forgiveness for ourselves. We do not need a, a, a human being an intermediary because Jesus is our intermediary. And here's what I love is when you think about it, when he is standing before God in heaven, he pleads our case to the Father, not because we're good, but on the base of his, his sacrifice on the cross. When I was studying that, I thought I saw that happening a whole different way. I thought this might be the hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But it was kind of like, well, huh. Let's go that way. Think about it. When Jesus stands at the throne room, his father, he pleads your case and my case, not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of his sacrifice for us that his blood covers our sin. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. On the basis that his blood is eternal. Therefore, we get access in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us look at this. Please take note of this. Because sometimes some people, oh, I don't know if I should pray. And, and you kind of get a little timid when you think about the creator of the universe. And should I be able to talk to him? And this is what it says in Hebrews 4.16. Ready? Say, I'm ready. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Pastor, I, I'm going through stuff in my life. The Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of God for our time of need. It's that God, I need you. That we have a better covenant. That we have a better mediator. We, we have a better covenant because the blood that was given to us in Jesus is better than any goats or lambs of the Old Testament. Those years. Let me wrap it up by saying in Joshua chapter 6. We were in Joshua chapter 2 when the spies are leaving Rahab. Now you fast forward to the time that the children of Israel are coming to conquer Jericho. And in Joshua chapter 6 verse 22 it says this. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and her sisters, and all who belonged to her. Did you, did you hear that? All who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family, and they put them in a place outside of the camp of Israel. What is so amazing about Rahab is she's probably one of the most famous people in history. If you've heard of her or not. She is mentioned in the Bible, but not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. And some of you today will know for the first time that this lady, Rahab, 
is in the lineage, or you could even say the pedigree of Jesus Christ. Someone might be hearing going, uh uh. Yeah. Let me just kind of give you, you've heard of King David, which we know is in the lineage of Jesus. But here it is. David's father was Jesse. Jesse's father was Obed, which anyway, we'll go on. Obed is the father of Boaz. And Boaz's mother was Rahab, which was married to Salmon. So apparently when Rahab comes and joins the Israelites, she is given a new identity. I don't know this for a fact, but she gets a new home. She probably gets enough wealth to take care of her and her new husband, Salmon. But the covenant of God in the Old Testament, now she is under that covenant and her title, her what she was in Jericho is no more. To the point that the Bible says, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, and if you've read the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, it starts with all the amazing hall of faith, you know, the people that are the big hitters, you know. They're the all-stars, they're the, you know, the Noahs and the Abrahams and, you know, the Isaacs and the Jacobs and the all the guys that have acted in faith. And you read down and, There's this lady named Rahab. That has messed up in her past and looked down upon. But the day that she gets a new identity and even becomes a mother, and we become the great grandmother of a king. I'm telling you today, ladies, that you can give your family a lot of special things throughout the year and on Mother's Day we honor you. But the greatest gift you can give is your influence that reverberates throughout your family about making God the big rock, the big priority in your life. This year, we put to rest Ina Mae Palmer. Some of you knew that she was, in a way, kind of like what you would say as a matriarch of a family. And she had been part of our church longer than any member of the church. And, and she was here before I took the being pastor 27 years ago. And Ina Mae wasn't a very boisterous person. She wasn't a very opinionated person where she would say, well, I don't think we all do that. She didn't use any kind of manipulation and say, well, I don't know. Well, what do you think of me? Well, I don't know. Have you ever heard anybody like that before? She never did that. But she always encouraged you. And at the end of the conversation, you pretty much knew where she was going. And what she was leaving it. Annie Mae had two sons. And both of those sons chose, after being raised in her house, a godly house, not to serve God. They both got married. Both had children and grandchildren and adopted children. You know how families are spread out. They grow. And any time they wanted to have solid a solid foundation in their life, something was going wrong. They wouldn't necessarily go to mom and dad. They could always go back to Ina Mac. Before her oldest son passed away, I visited him. He was sick. And he said, Pastor, he says, I've been raised in the best house. I said, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? He said, I have a relationship right now. I've asked God to forgive me. 
his family was changed because of what at the end of his life he had done and, and repented and just how anime had influenced his life. And then just about, oh, it's been about two years now, the youngest son. They moved down to Cleburne and it broke my heart. I thought, Ina I thought you'd always be with us. But she and her family, he did not go to church and the wife didn't go to the church and the little granddaughter didn't go to the church. But now that they've invited their elderly mother to live with them and they've moved, guess what happened on Sunday morning? She says, it's Sunday. We're going to church. Well, uh, bop, 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 bop. they kind of got stuttering. Okay, let's let's go look for church. They said they drove around and they went into church. Into what's the odds? They found my cousin, the man that was the best man in my wedding. His church. They go into that building. And they say her son David couldn't keep his hands out of his or his head out of his hands. He was crying. The next week he came to the altar and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Now, now, yeah, just amazing story. But if you go even further, David is one of these guys that now has become what Ina May was to me as a pastor. She, she out of just faithfulness, became a board member. She was our bookkeeper. She attended this church Sunday after Sunday more than the pastor did because she didn't ever go on vacation. I told at her funeral that one week she didn't show up and, and we were talking, where's Anna May? And then someone jokingly said, it's probably Lisa, but Lisa probably said, did, did, did the, maybe... Maybe the rapture happened and we were left. <laughs> In other words, I he's the only one look. David has become a man of God. And my cousin Phil Brown, the pastors in Cleveland, says, John, Ina May had to be an amazing lady for him to make a turn. And when you talk to David, he was here just a couple weeks ago on a Sunday night during our praise and worship. And, and David says, my mother is the reason. I've given my heart and I serve God. So this morning, before I dismiss, I want to just encourage you mothers that are here. That have unsaved loved ones that you've been a godly influence to. Don't give up. Every time you see that scarlet cord, you're praying, God, I believe my family's coming to know you. I'm asking God that you save my children. And fathers and mothers, that you're praying for your fathers and mothers and, and their children and your aunts and uncles and all of your family. One day when we get to heaven, this morning, let's begin to believe that that day that all of our family is saved. All of our family is there. Can you agree with me that in prayer? Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, let's give God a hand this morning. God, you're a good God. You're a good God. God, this morning I just pray for each lady that is here this morning that has meant so much to us in our life. And Father, there are ladies here that are, that are mothers to me. They're mothers to children in this church. They have influenced us in a godly way. And God, we thank you for all the ladies here that have meant so much to us. God, I pray that this Mother's Day that they would take the responsibility for their house. Father, that they would not let go and with tenacity they would continue and still pray for their children their husbands, the people that are around them. God, that they become the standard, God, of believing in you because they've made you the big priority, the big rock in their life. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ladies, today, 
we want to honor you and some of you that are here that have filled out a, a, a ballot, I don't know what you call it, a little slip in the lobby. Uh, Christy, would you just make uh, a drawing and then you can say who won? Okay, well first of all, I want to thank all the ladies to be here this morning. Uh, we have a special gift for all the moms. So while we're doing this drawing the, of the three gifts that we have, if I could have some of the ushers pass out those gifts to all the moms that are here. Um, so I have three special gifts that we want to recognize three ladies for. So <laughs> I'm like one of the only ones that are shorter than him. <laughs> You asked for that one. <laughs> okay. Um, and if I butcher your name, I apologize. Afni Perez. Mark, give him that gift. All right, next one. Gwen Miller. <laughs> I want to receive it on behalf of my, no. She's in the nursery, so I'm going to speak for her, and we're going to give it to somebody else. All right. We're going to do it. I'm going to give her another gift. Jamie. Jamie Smith. <laughs> the whole thing. Boy, I tell you what, the guys are having a rough time this morning. <laughs> Do we have another one? And someone who's going to get the crepe paper that comes in it, too. No, I'm kidding. Connie. Connie. That's good. Let's give Christy a hand. I think. I know that Connie is blessed this week. She moved in our youth pastor, Mark, and some of our young people. They moved her. And she said, man, we are so blessed to have a wonderful youth group like that. And uh, the Mark's Moving Company is in business. So so thank you, ladies. And Mark's going to give some announcements and take up the offering. What a wonderful day. Amen. 